0: Hey, listeners, it's Keith from Evertrue. Evertrue is the end-to-end solution for insight, outreach, and analytics for higher ed advancement and stewardship teams around the world.
1: Recently, we launched Evertrue Studios, Advancement's very first media hub, where subscribers have access to over 100 hours of free, on-demand
0: original series and podcasts, all created with fundraisers in mind. Check us out at Evertrue.com backslash studios. I'm Kim Naone, and this is Mentorship Matters, a podcast that examines the current and future landscape of fundraising leaders and the power of inclusive mentorship in advancement. Today, I'm honored to have my friend, Dr. Amber Selking, founder and CEO of the Selking Performance Group with us. Amber, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Great to see you and be with you today.
0: Absolutely. great! Uh, great to see you. And when I was thinking about the topic for today. I want to talk about developing a, a winning mindset. And there's nobody out there that I respect in terms of having walked the walk and talked to talk than you. And uh, I really think, Holly, of you from the time when we were back in Missouri, and uh, now seeing you doing great things across the country and helping teams and helping others succeed is great. So I wanted to kick us off with talking about uh, uh, your definition of a championship mindset. What is a championship mindset? <laughs>
1: Yeah. You know, first of all, I think the word mindset has really blown up over the last probably seven years, if you will. And I think it's sort of this buzzword out in our world today, but what I think is most important for people to understand is that a mindset is an actual protein pattern that gets wired into our brain based on what we think about. So what we know is that the brain is not a muscle in the scientific sense, but it functions like a muscle in the extent that the parts of it that we use grow and get stronger. And so just like when we lift weights, our muscles get bigger. When we repeat certain thoughts, these mindsets or protein patterns actually start to change the form and function of our brain. So that sounds super scientific, but what I tell, uh, what I tell my clients is a mindset is basically an Instagram filter. Okay. You've got, you could have one picture (laughs) and depending on what filter you put on that picture, it changes the whole experience of the photo itself. And so when I say championship mindsets and building championship mindsets, what I want people to understand is that we can actually build mindsets or protein patterns or Instagram filters in our brain so that we see experiences and moments, see ourselves and others um, through a, a championship caliber lens or filter over our brain. And so that's what I really want individuals, teams, and organizations to be able to develop.
0: That is exceptional. So uh, let's walk back to the time when you decided to start the Selking Performance Group uh, and talk about what what it is that you do and what motivated you to uh, develop the programs that that you have in place.
1: Yeah, so I did uh, my undergrad at the University of Notre Dame. I was a management consulting major. I thought I wanted to work in corporate America. And so you know I I did that, went through business, our, our undergrad business major, went and worked in corporate. And I was there for about a month and I was like, okay, I can't wake up when I'm 40 sitting at a computer screen. Like there's gotta be something more that I can do to add value to the world. And really that's when I stumbled upon the field of sports psychology. And so I worked for two years in corporate just to make sure and really test my heart to make sure that that's what I, I wanted and felt called to. And then, um, went and pursued a, a master's degree at the university of Denver and, um, in a, in sport and performance psychology and knew that I wanted to, I, I had a heart for business. I love the business space and a, a world of athletics. I was yeah. a soccer player at ND before my injury sort of took that away. And so um, when I founded Selking performance group, I knew I wanted to work from the locker room to the boardroom. So from the sports space to the business space, and I knew that two things were really important to success, uh, mindset of individuals yep. and, and leadership of people and systems, and so, you know, that's really um, what we've built uh, Selfing Performance to do is to help individuals, teams, and organizations really understand the power of mindset and leadership, and then figure out how to leverage those within their organization to drive high performance excellence.
0: That is excellent. So, as you think about it, what are some of the common challenges that prevent individuals and organizations from developing? Such mindsets because because oftentimes you know, you're you, I've worked in advancement for my entire career now, and I can't you, you have the team that is all about here's the vision, let's go, let's execute, we're excited about it, no matter how much I'm getting paid, I'm in, and then you have the team that's well, uh, my paycheck didn't go uh farther enough, so you know, I need to get more money before I get excited. or well, I don't like this about my circumstances, and they wallow in that space. Mm -hmm. They don't go where the other part of the team is. So we're trying to say, how can we get this part of the team and this part of the team to be like those folks that do get it, they have it, and they just manifest it. And they don't let all the other excuses and things that may exist, uh, uh, sort of prevent them from accomplishing something.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. We see that so frequently. You know, I think that my my theory or my my belief is that high performance excellence really has to be a top down, bottom up and contextually relevant approach. To that, and so that top down is exactly what you said. That's where leadership comes into place. That's where vision, mission, values, um, organizational culture come into play, and is really facilitated by leaders on a team. And then the bottom up, quote unquote, is where mindset comes into play. Is everybody on that team really thinking right and understanding who they are and what value they add and how they can optimize that on a team? And so, you know, invariably when things aren't working, it's either because you know top down there. isn't great leadership and vision and and culture created and reinforced or bottom up people's mindsets aren't right. They're not thinking right about, you know, what the opportunity is like the example that you just gave. And so that's where I think one education can come into place is like, okay, I didn't even know that I could control my thoughts. I didn't know that I had a choice to really rewire how I think and how I operate. And so, you know, I released a book earlier this spring called winning the mental game and it's my foundational mindset program, because what I found. Is that a lot of people just don't really understand um, the tangible aspects of of um, using the beautiful gift that we've been given as the human brain, regardless of your age, your your the color of your skin, your socioeconomic background, your life experiences. The human brain is a powerful and often untapped area um, that we can use to get better at. And so, I think teaching is one thing, but then I also think you know people ultimately have to make a choice. They they, you know, we have a phrase with our leaders that yep. we say, you got to coach them up or coach them out. And, and people have to understand, like, I'm either going to get on board or I should get off board. And so um, th- that's, you know, that's an important part. If all those things are in place, if the right culture is in place, the right expectations are in place and people really know the importance of thinking right in collaboration and they choose not to, I think then it comes down to organizational and team fit.
0: Yeah, I mean, pretty much, uh, you know, you hire, the, you hire the wrong people, don't expect the right outcomes because it's, uh, you know, it, it, it goes without saying, you know, uh, I hate to use this phrase, but back in the days when I was studying computer science, they always talk about the concept of G-I-G-O, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So if you have bad code, don't expect to have a certain outcome. And uh, one of the things that's been a challenge in our field, as I alluded to earlier, is the issue of attrition. Uh, you know, we, ha- we're in a field that uh, where there's a great demand for good talent and very little supply of it. And so what happens is it becomes an arms race. Who's going to pay people more and uh, to move them around And in a business where relationship building is mm-hmm. at the core. I mean, you build relationship with donors that sustain an institution over time over a lifetime, not just a transactional thing that is really disruptive to those relations. Every time we lose somebody, we've lost years of, of, uh, of experience. And so as we look at how do we prevent most of that from happening? You can't stop everybody because sometimes there's only enough seats at, at the table before somebody has to go sit at another table. And that's A-OK. We as organizations should be supporting people in their quest to be uh, successful individually.
1: Mm-hmm. But within
0: the organizations that I've been part of, We've been, you know, grappling with this issue of what do we do as a field uh, that is, uh, you know, very demanding in terms of deliverables, results, financial results every year. Uh, you know, you, you have targets you got to meet in terms of people you engage with and things like that, travel. So it's sort of like it's very it, it's sort of like a D one, uh, yeah. uh, you know, sports program. You know, you're expected to bat at the championship level. So what can we do? To um, take this idea of a championship mindset and, and start implementing it and getting people, hire the right people and get the team to roll in the same direction, to believe in the mission and live the mission and focus on how we collaborate for the greater good, rather than how do I position myself to be successful so that I can go to university X and be the boss. Because you see a lot of that now.
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think it's really challenging, but I think ultimately it comes down to really powerful cultures. Um we, you know, at the end of the day, people want to have a sense of purpose and they want to have a sense of belonging and be part of something really special. And so I think the creation of that vision, that mission, that culture, the reinforcement of it is a really important aspect that people like, you know, as much as people want to be paid, they also want to have, you know, the things that matter to them, prioritize and able to have in their life. I mean, you mentioned that the travel in your field is really demanding. It can take a toll on marriages, on relationships with kids. And I think, you know, it's really going to take leaders getting creative around how do we, how do we manage some of those barriers and, and some of those challenges differently? You know, I've spent the last four and a half years as an executive in a global manufacturing manufacturing company where our vision is to make business a force for good in the world and to make people feel cared for and valued, um, in the manufacturing space. Right. And so that's not always easy and that's not always like really mission filled work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet, yeah, And so, so for example, you know, we've got some jobs that have really high attrition. And when we dig into them, what we find is that like, you know, often it's because there's a poor leader in place or, you know, the, the work is just so physically demanding and it takes a toll on people's bodies that they really, they, it's hard to stay in there or the conditions are like incredibly hot or incredibly cold. And so they're just really challenging. So you know, we've instituted things like, you know, rotational options where every so many months they get to go to a different department. So it minimizes that wear and tear. So I think, you know, w- what we've found really helpful is like w- just simply listening sessions, listening where, you know, when we have high attrition, really understanding what is driving that behavior. Is it environmental and things that we could get creative around, you know, maybe, maybe you institute, you know, take your kid on a trip day. I know the Pittsburgh pirates, they, you know, for a while there, they, they they did a father's father's weekend and a mother's weekend where the players could actually bring their parent or, you know, somebody that has served as a model in their life on an away game with them. And they got to, you know, travel with the team and stay in the hotel. And, and so, you know, because baseball is a hard sport, there's a lot of games, they're on the road a lot. And so, you know, can we find creative ways to, to help massage some of those more demanding parts of the job while still infusing purpose and passion and high performance. And so those listening sessions can be really meaningful finding the pain points for your people. Um, And then, you know, the financial game, the reality of it is you don't ever want to get into like the bidding war because that, you know, gets old quick, but I do think our compensation philosophy has to match what we're saying, right? Like if we're saying we're an elite institution and, you know, we do everything top-notch and then our pay is, hey, you should feel lucky to work here. Um, then we're not there. There's a misalignment there and misalignment in the human brain creates what we call cognitive dissonance, right? Mm -hmm. Where the expectation and the words are different than the reality. And that can create a sense of unrest, uh, a sense of mistrust or distrust. And so So, you know, really being mindful that all of our external verbiage and things that we're saying are really matched with our internal processes, I think are really important. And and then, you know, at the end of the day, some people are going to leave and they're going to be like, Oh God, what did I do? I left something (laughs) so wonderful, you know, and, and I wish I could be back. So, you know, I think it's sort of a combined notion there again, of really looking at top down and bottom up things that could be driving that attrition and then being courageous enough to take action and, and really creative action around that might be different than what is normal quote unquote in, in your industry.
0: You know, it's interesting. uh, You talk about the grass is greener. Uh, a few years ago, I had a team member that, you know, said, well, I don't think you guys are doing enough for me here. I got this job opportunity and I want to go there, either match it or else. And we said, you know, uh, we think that we're paying you and compensating you appropriately for what you're doing here. But the other institution is in a state with, you know, high cost of living. So that's why your pay is higher. If I was you, I would stay here. We have more opportunity for you to grow here. But they saw the paycheck and said, hey, you know, this is great. I'm going. Well, about a year later, you know, we are getting a call. Say, hey, uh, is there any opportunity uh, for me to be able to, to come back and uh, contribute? You know, I was a good employee. So, you know, I mean, uh, unfortunately, we don't right now. The roles are filled. But down the road, maybe you know, if there's something that fits you, you can look at that. But that was a lesson to Sometimes not at all about the money. I tell my team all the time that it's not just about the money. I made the mistake early in my career, just be driven by they're paying me X. But then I go, I went to this one organization, the culture was terrible. It wasn't a fit with me, uh, mm-hmm. highly hierarchical. They're it's just toxic, toxic environment that did not fit with who I was. Mm-hmm. And I have to step back, take a step back, get a different position and then move forward and since that time i've always been driven by the mission of the organization are we aligned who am i working with what's their work philosophy are they a visionary because if they're not visionaries and for me that doesn't speak to me why am i here you know we got to have one purpose and that purpose is what drives us which leads me to the issue of leaders and vision who are in leadership positions but not necessarily Uh, equipped to have a vision or a strategy. You ask them to define strategy going forward and they can't, but they're your leader. And so from my vantage point, as I look at somebody who's in a CEO role and they're filling up their leadership ranks and they realize, you know what, asking for a strategy on how we're going to execute and these people don't know how to execute. How do we uh again using the same concept we were discussing earlier about the team and developing that mindset how do we help leaders define themselves in that role where i mean i'm kind of stuck like i can't get out of my own head to say this is the north star and here's the strategy to get there that the team can buy in because team members are looking at you and say dr selking i mean what are we doing like uh, uh what's our game plan
1: Yeah. You know, that's really challenging in terms of having to lead up, you know, and feeling frustrated that your leader might not be equipped with those things. But I I think that's where, you know, again, organizationally is growth important, right? Is leadership development important? I think sometimes leaders get in roles and they think they have to have it all figured out. So they act as if they all have, they have it all figured out and everybody, you know, knows they don't have it all figured out. (laughs) And so, you know, I, I think that, creating that culture of like growth and learning and that being part of excellence. And so, you know, if you are in that lower role, you know, maybe you start a, you know, this is maybe cheesy, but like a a monthly book club or something to get like, you know, podcast every Monday, it's like, Hey, you know, you assign different people to, you know, we're going to bring a new nugget or insight and share with the group just so that we can have like continuous learning and try to instill that as a culture. um, so that hopefully, Hopefully leaders understand like, man, I got to keep growing too. And if my team is outgrowing me, um, that's a problem that should be, that should be a red flag right to them. Um, you know, I, I, again, I think it's hard depending on what your role is in the organization in terms of how much influence you have to, to actually open eyes to your leader. But it could also come down to relationships, you know, and, and having a relationship with them and say, hey, you know, I think the, the teams may be struggling a little bit because, you know, we know without vision, people perish, you know, not physically, mm-hmm. but but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And so, you know, I, I think if you could maybe provide some clarity for us on what our target is, I think it would really infuse some of this. Like, if there's anything I can do to help you, let me know, you know? And so sometimes I think leaders, um, they really do want feedback a lot now, not every leader, but some leaders really do want feedback, but there's, but people might not be courageous enough to give it to them. And so if you can build that relationship with your leader and have a sense of empathy for them in terms of what position they're in, um, and you know, what the constraints are for them, you know, ask a lot of questions, like what's your biggest frustration? What do you appreciate most about your leaders? What, what do you wish you had in your leadership? Maybe they they don't have vision for your team because they haven't been given vision, right? and and so I think questions allow us to get to the heart of understanding what's going on with the other people, the other person, which then can allow us to one have more empathy, but two hopefully collaborate on what can some actionable next steps be for us to grow as an organization?
0: That, that, that's that's uh, that, that's good, that's good. Um, so uh, put you on a spot here a little bit. Perhaps you can share with our audience one of the most interesting sort of uh, case studies in which you were involved in to try to help a team uh, you know, develop that, that mindset that we've been talking about.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the most uh the the biggest privileges of my life professionally so far has been um you know, working with Notre Dame football over the last 5 years. I'm not with them any longer. Um but you know, after the four, the, the team went 4 and 8 in 2016 and um coach Kelly and I were able to connect and and he and I started working together and um you know, collectively got to partner in how do we really clearly define our organizational culture, our mission, our process that we believe leads to success? How do we articulate that clearly? And then, so it was, you know, the the leadership side of it. And then the mindset side of it, where, you know, our, every guy that would come into the program would get eight hours of foundational mindset training, teaching them again, how their brain works, how it impacts how they showed up and then giving them tools and strategies to train and manage their mind and emotions, just like they manage their technical and tactical aspects of their game. And so, you know, for the last five years, we've been really just, just cultivating that system and that culture. And, you know, we had the winningest five years in the history of Notre Dame football, which that was a great era. Notre Dame football's been around for a while. So, um, and that's a testament to his leadership, to the buy-in of the young men that were in our program, um, to the, the, the quality of men and coaches and, and influencers that we had inside of the program. And so, um, you know, I think that that was a really powerful example of all of these things sort of coming together. Culture doesn't happen by accident. You know, it doesn't happen by just signs on a wall. It happens through day-to-day management of that culture and, and tilling of that soil and picking of those weeds. Um, if, if it's going to be healthy and productive to, to drive performance. And so, you know, um, unfortunately Notre Dame, I didn't say I I wasn't retained at Notre Dame when the coaching transition happened. So now I'm down at LSU and we're able to be building some fun things down there as well. And, you know, between that and what we've been able to do with that company I mentioned earlier, I think it's just a really powerful Testament. I think that at the end of the day, there's some fundamental tenets of what we know about organizational design and high performance that if you're if you implement them it works there's some fundamental tenets of how human beings think and operate that if the mm-hmm. system you create is aligned with those you know, success is really the only byproduct, byproduct, constrained only by the talent inside of the system and the resources there to support the system. And so, again, the the when those elements come together, it's really incredible to see how quickly things can change and how sustainable they can be, because, again, they're aligned with what we know about high performance.
0: You know, I, I like to use the analogy. Uh, I can't remember which football coach was was talking about. I think it was Dabble or somebody, and he said, "You know what? I, I don't care about what jerseys are across from me. I don't care whether it's Alabama, it's it's Notre Dame, or whoever. Uh, if we execute what well, we know how to execute our plan. We prepare well. We do all the things that we need to do, and control our variables. We have a chance. Yeah. If we're walking in to that." Yeah, to, to their locker room and we're getting out, we're looking across the field and we see Crimson Tide. And all of a sudden we are freaking out. We're done. We're yep. done before we got in. So we can't control what they do. Their championship program, they're gonna come in and they're gonna execute what championship programs do. And I use the same analogy when I when I talk to my team. You may be working in a in a in an operation that can only raise five million dollars. Uh but so be it. You control the variables they need to do. You may be working with a donor that can give you a hundred million dollars, but decide last minute that, you know what, I'm only going to do 10. You don't control that. What you control is how you show up, how you develop that relationship with that donor in an authentic manner, and how you best represent the institution. And at the end of the day, even if you got 5 million, that's $5 million you didn't have, 100%. you know, if you got a hundred great, but at the end of the day, you can sleep well or not knowing that I did my best and I just didn't mail it in. And so I think uh, the point that you make is absolutely critical. So as we, uh, we're winding down here, I want to give you a chance to, uh, give us two quick, uh, takeaways, uh, from our conversation about building a championship mindset they like to share with the, with our audience.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, just be mindful of what you're thinking about. I had one of my athletes tell me uh, one time he came up to me at practice and put his arm around me and looked down because I'm a lot smaller than these guys. And he said, Doc, I've never thought so much about what I've been thinking about. And, uh, and so I think as it relates to building a championship mindset, we got to be thinking about what we're thinking about. Humans have about 70 to 80,000 thoughts a day. And we need to be really mindful of what thoughts we're allowing to permeate our mind because it builds mindsets and it changes how we see the world and therefore how we show up to it. And so um, I think that's first and foremost. And then I think, you know, you hit on something right there at the end is we give power to what we focus on. Literally what we direct our attention to grows and amplifies. And we need to make sure that we're giving power to the things that make us great to the things that bring us joy and peace. Right. And, and if not, we're giving our power away and we're feeding a lot of negativity and anxiety and insecurity. And again, we get to control that because we get to choose our thoughts. And at the end of the day, it's all about thinking right about yourself, about others, about opportunities, um, or, or about failures, right? Like you just mentioned And, and is, 5 million versus 10 million a failure? I mean, no, because it's outside of your control if you did everything in relation to that. And so can you think right um, is, is a really powerful concept that I think if people understand, it will change not only their performance, but also their enjoyment of the performance process.
0: Absolutely. So I want to put a plug in for your book here. You mentioned a book earlier, Foundational Management. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so the book is Winning the Mental Game, The Playbook for Building Championship Mindsets. And it truly is a playbook. You know, it's designed, it teaches, there's a a scientific piece in every chapter about how the brain works. There's some stories and applications um, from clients that I've worked with. And at the end of every chapter, there's a little like workbook basically that you can work through and really lay that foundation of, of your mental game. And then it's just about running the playbook, you know, day in and day out in your professional life and in your personal life. And so I'm really excited I mean, we've had a lot of really good feedback on it, um, from, from business people to, to the athletic world, um, to anybody just looking to how to grow, you know, 2020, uh, started off a weird couple cycles for our world. And I think that if we're going to get back to, um, individual and team and world health, It's going to start with people understanding the power that they have inside of themselves to lead themselves well and to show up to the world as who they've been created and called to be, to be a a positive force for good, wherever that might be. And however small or however large of a scale, but that starts with winning the mental game first. And so I'm really hopeful that this book can not just provide hope, but provide actionable, tangible things that we can actually do to get some traction in our lives towards who we want to be and what we want to accomplish. Accomplish in the world.
0: And we can find this anywhere where it's where people find books, right? Amazon
1: yep. and On Amazon you can get on my website as well, www.selkingperformance.com and then I've got a podcast out there as well called Building Championship Mindsets that if that's interesting to you and you want to learn some more about it, we'd love to have you join us.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know in the audience, uh, as I mentioned on the onset, Dr. Amber Selking is the best of the best. <laughs> I mean, she is exceptional high energy can really transform how your team thinks and sees themselves and how they show up. And I urge you, you know, uh, all of you are listening. I got folks who are presidents of foundations and folks who are working in leadership roles in advancement that are listening to this podcast. And I tell you right now, okay, there's no better person to learn from than a championship athlete slash uh, coach who understands those principles of championship athletes in athletics that can be applied to our field. There's a lot of similarities there. And, uh, so again, uh, you know, check out our website. What is the website again?
1: www.selkingperformance.com.
0: There you have it. Well, folks, thank you for listening. I'm Kim Naoni, and this has been Mentorship Matters. See you soon.